Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. We've been in a series that we've been calling A Wonderful Life, and it really, we believe, is pointing to the reality that God's Word says generosity is a key to experiencing that. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 that God created us, all human beings. The people are here, people aren't here. Every person you can see, imagine, touch, ever heard of, all of us have been created in God's own image. And, and a really important part of that, a part of who God is that he intends for who his people to be, is generosity. You've heard me using this, if you've been with us, you've heard me using this, this famous passage from John 3.16 that Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave. Yeah, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God is generous, Period. But the good news is he he created you and me also to be generous as the way life works, the way it flows best with all that he has entrusted to us, life and resources and time and talent and and, and our words and everything. We, we certainly, we've talked about financial generosity or our treasure a few weeks ago, and I hope many of you have looked at your giving. Does it reflect your relationship with God? Does it reflect that out of generosity? We also talked about time and talent uh, and, and the importance of serving a couple of weeks ago, and we're continuing to encourage you to do that. I, I, someone told me a long time ago, and it's certainly true, you know, if you look at your calendar, and they used to just say your checkbook, but now I would say your checkbook and your credit card statement. But if you look at those things, if someone... A neutral party came and looked at those. They could tell a lot about you. They could tell what you really value, what really matters to you. Does it show up in your life? And so that's a question. And, and so as the church, whose mission is to lead everyday people to become fully devoted followers of Christ, we think it's important to encourage you in those areas to help you grow, not just because there are needs here, but because ultimately your need to give is greater than even the church's need to receive. Because it's about your journey. It's about your spiritual growth. It's about you becoming more and more like Jesus. Last week, Robert helped us to see that we're called to be generous in, in our families, to create a legacy. And this week, as you've already heard, we're t- turning to being generous with encouragement. I mean, it is so valuable in every area of our lives, and yet it's an area where some of us struggle, and others of us maybe overlook it or we forget about it, and we're not as generous as we could be. And yet encouragement makes a huge difference, whether it's in sports, or it's in our homes, or it's at work, or in school, or in tough times, or in our families. In fact, I looked up, a couple of three studies that have demonstrated with empirical data for you engineers that encouragement has a striking effect on performance. You do better when you're encouraged. You, 
Your work is better. It's a higher quality, a greater quantity. But it's more than just levels of performance. Most, if not all of us, thrive on encouragement for reasons that are not just about how we accomplish things, and yet all too often we take it for granted. I read this week about a senator who hired a young man to be an intern in his office through a little-known congressional program that awards internships to, to kids who've aged out of foster care without ever having been adopted to try to give them a leg up. And one morning, the senator breezed into his office and going about his business, and he noticed that his intern was already in, had been in for a while, and in fact had reorganized the entire mailroom. The senator said to the young man, man, this is amazing. The, the mailroom has never looked so clean. You did a great job. Then he went on about his business. But a few minutes later, his, his work caused him to cross paths with that young man again. And as he did, he noticed that there were some tears coming down his face. He said, son, are you okay? And the guy said, yeah. Did, did I say something to offend you? No, sir. Well, what's wrong? The young man said, well, sir, that's the first time in my life anyone's ever told me that I did something good. Now, that may be a shock to some of you, but for some of you, you you could probably say the same thing. Am I right? Some of you, you haven't heard a whole lot of encouragement. You haven't heard a whole lot of praise. And maybe you've kind of gotten over it or you don't think about it so much. But deep down, sometimes it really hurts. Thursday in our here in the office, we were preparing for this service. And Betsy, our director of arts, who's up here a few minutes ago, asked us to just kind of think back and share some experiences. Think about it, places and times when we've been encouraged and, and how it made us feel. And, and I would tell you the same thing. I mean, for some of you, yeah, it may be a regular part of your life, but for some of you, it may rarely happen. How does it make you feel? Does it lift you up? Does it encourage you? Even now, as you think about it, does it bring a little smile or maybe even a little regret? Because it doesn't happen very often. John Wooden, the great UCLA basketball coach, told his players that, that when they scored... He wanted them to look back at the guy who had passed him the ball and, and either smile or wink or nod or give some sort of, of, of sign of recognition and appreciation. And, and one of the team members said, well, what if they're not looking? And Wooden said, I guarantee he'll look. And he's right. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers a person up. I guarantee you, there are people sitting around you this morning who need to be encouraged. And in fact, you may need to be encouraged. And I hope, as we sang, the Word of God coming through music, that, oh, how He loves us. Oh, how He loves you and me. 
I hope those were encouraging to you, that they weren't just words and that you weren't just parroting them. You were experiencing them. Because encouragement lifts our spirits in ordinary times and, and it can get us through huge challenges. Around 700 B.C., the, the southern kingdom of Judah was facing invasion from Assyria, um, which at the time was really probably the most powerful force in the Mediterranean world. Assyria had conquered northern, the northern kingdom, which was called Israel, less than 25 years earlier, and now their sights were set on Judah, the, the area of Judah, and the, 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 specifically the city, the capital of Jerusalem. Ruling over Judah at that time was a, a very godly king, a man who was, whose heart was really seeking after God named Hezekiah. And, and when he realized that this was coming, he, he took action. He repaired and reinforced the walls around Jerusalem. He, he, he was very, in, in fact, really cool. He tapped into a spring to bring water underground through a tunnel into Jerusalem to make sure they had adequate water supply coming, coming into the city to, to be able to s- survive a siege. And sometimes people say, well, you know, is there, there, is there archaeological evidence of things that happened in the Bible? Several years ago, they found that tunnel. There are all kinds of evidences of, of the truth of, of what God says in the Bible. But, but Hezekiah's most important preparation was for the leaders, for the military, and for the people. So I want us to just look at three short verses in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If, if you have your mobile device, you can go to the Version Bible app and click on the live page. And if you don't have either of those, as always, we've got some printed notes in your bulletin that you can, you can follow along with. I want to just read those three verses to you here off the bat. They begin in verse 6. He, talking about Hezekiah, appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before him in the square at the city gate. Then Hezekiah encouraged them by saying, Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria or his mighty army. For there is a power far greater on our side. He may have a great army, but they are merely men. We have the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles for us. Hezekiah's words greatly encouraged the people. Now, several things I want us to just notice and learn from this passage from Hezekiah. First, Hezekiah is intentional about preparing for what's ahead. He doesn't sit around. He doesn't wring his hands. He doesn't say, woe is me. He acts. And, and, and part of that is reinforcing the walls, building up new walls, developing a safe, secure water supply for Jerusalem. And part of that, second, is his preparation of the people to encourage the people. And in doing this, he showed real wisdom because every person in that city knew how powerful Assyria was and what it had done to Israel. It had conquered them. It had exported all the people just about of Assyria out. They were, I mean, of of the northern kingdom of Israel out. They were no longer a force of any kind. And you look at that and you start to think, man, what's the point? There's no hope for me. What, you know, what are we going to do? They're much bigger than us. They've conquered armies much larger than we could put together if all of our people joined the army. And yet, Hezekiah intentionally prepares them through encouragement. He's not 
He's not being Pollyanna. He's not denying that this is a serious situation. But he knows God. And God has encouragement that he wants the people to receive, even in their desperate situation. Which leads to number three, how, in fact, Hezekiah encouraged the people. And he did that with promises from God. The Bible doesn't show it now as a, as a direct quote if you're looking at your, at your Bible or you're looking at the notes. Uh, but when Hezekiah tells the people to be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, and you and I might hear those and think, well, those are good words, you know, and whether a football coach said them yesterday or hopefully Texans coach is saying it today, or whatever the case may be, the Jews, 700 years before the time of Christ, would have heard more in those words. They would have heard more because hundreds of years earlier, God had spoken those very words to Joshua as he prepared Joshua to lead the Israelites into the promised land. In fact, if you were to look in Joshua chapter 1, you would find that on at least four different occasions, God says it to Joshua, and if you back up into Deuteronomy, when Moses is still on the scene, you'll see it at least two more times where God has spoken. In Joshua 1.9, the Lord says, This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. They would have heard more than you and I hear. Because they would have heard an echo of God's word. They would have heard an echo of what God had said to Joshua and the people as they were about to set off on an incredible journey to conquer a whole land. And it shows us the value of spending time in God's word every day. Because you and I need to also remember and draw on his promises. You know, we look back and and you look at Abraham, or you look at Moses and the burning bush, or you look at Noah, and we see these incredible encounters where God spoke directly to them. And we think, well, why, why doesn't he speak to us like that? Why doesn't he say something like that to me? And, and we overlook the fact that he does. In fact, he says more to us today than he said to them because we have his word here recorded through the power of the Holy Spirit, to tell us what God said to his people in all kinds of circumstances. He doesn't have to do it the same way. Because in the time of Moses, there was no Bible. In the time even here, there were only a few of the writings that we now call the Bible. But today, you and I have this incredible collection that has come down to us through the centuries that God has shared with us as a way that he continues to speak to us directly. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have been reading the Bible. And many of you know I use, and I encourage you to use, we, many of us use the Life Journal reading plan. It doesn't matter if you use that or some other plan, but that you are, you are consistently reading in God's Word. And I will be reading... And all of a sudden, it's like a, a, a passage or a verse or three words just jump off the page at me. And they invariably speak to something that's going on in my life. They invariably 
talk to me. And if you believe, as I do, that God's Word, the Holy Spirit was in the writing of these words, that He is in the hearing and the reading of these words, then I think, I believe, God is speaking to me. Clearly, succinctly, powerfully, into my life, into that moment. And he does that to all of us who seek him. Now, if you're reading it just to get through the pages, yeah, you may, it may not happen very often. But if you sit down and you say, God, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to hear? Speak to me. Sort of like Samuel did when he was a boy and, and he heard God's voice and he didn't know what to make of it. And finally, Eli, his mentor, uh, who didn't get much, but he said, just say to him, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And that's what he did. And God poured into him. He is nearer than we know. And he wants to speak to us and he wants us to hear him more than you and I do if we allow it. The Bible is not a static book. It is alive with power used by God in our lives through the Holy Spirit. The Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. Romans 15, the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Too often, we fail to draw encouragement from the very source God has given us right here in our hands. If you don't have a Bible, you can't afford one, come see us. We'll get you one. If you don't have a Bible, you can go get one. If you've got a mobile device and you don't have a Bible, the YouVersion Bible app is free. It has been downloaded over 125 million times. And you can start. It has reading plans, easy to use. Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N, version, and there you go. Now, in our, moving on in our Chronicles passage, number four, Hezekiah reminds us of some specific promises from God's Word that we all need to hear, that God is with us, God is for us. And again, Hezekiah is reminding them. He's, he's quoted that passage, be strong and courageous. And as he does that, he, he, he's pointing to a whole picture of history, uh, of the God of Moses, the God who led his people through the Red Sea on dry land, who provided food and water for 40 years, whose shoes and clothes did not wear out. I haven't had these shoes. No, it's not this side this side. I haven't had these shoes for 40 years, okay? I don't even wear them that much. And you know what? There's a hole starting to wear through right there. Can you? Okay? It just happens. So you tell me there's something, not something miraculous going on when their clothes don't wear out over 40 years. Who who supernaturally watched over them, protected them. He is the same God, Hezekiah said, who is with them in their stand against Assyria. And folks, here's the thing you and I need to remember. He is the same God who is with you and me and for us. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes Jesus said, be sure of this, I am with you always, 
even to the end of the age. In 1 John, it says this, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In Isaiah, the Lord said, no weapon forged against you will prevail. In Romans 8, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Now, he doesn't mean there are no enemies. But what he means is, in comparison to the creator God who made all that there is, in comparison to the God who led the Hebrews across the Red Sea on dry land, in comparison to the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead and promises the same for our mortal bodies who follow and trust him, is there anything that is too hard? Is there anything he cannot do? Who can then prevail against us? Yes, we have enemies. We have earthly, fleshly enemies, but even more importantly, we have spiritual enemies. Our, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers and authorities of this world, the Bible says. But even they are ultimately powerless before God. There is nothing in this world that can ultimately defeat a follower of Jesus Christ. you got to hear that. I mean, I know it's words, okay? But I want to tell you, whatever you're going through right now, I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying it's not hard. But what I'm saying is, there is nothing that you are going through right now if you are trusting Jesus, that can ultimately defeat you and God's purposes for your life. Nothing. Say that with me. Nothing. 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 Now, say it like you mean it. Nothing. Again. Again. Okay, there are a few of you who are getting into it. (laughs) But you know what? You need to remember that. You need to know that. You need to be encouraged that that is true. There is nothing that can ever defeat a follower of Jesus Christ. And the good news that we read in the Bible... Number five is that Hezekiah's encouragement worked. In the face of overwhelming odds, our passage tells us that Hezekiah said to the people, said, said to the people to encourage them, and, and it did and gave them hope. And even though the battle was far from over and the people of Jerusalem would go through some really tough times, in the end, their God prevailed. In fact, 2 Chronicles 32, verse 21, several verses later from our passage, says the Lord sent an angel who destroyed the Assyrian army. In Kings, it tells us it was 185,000 soldiers destroyed the Assyrian army with all its commanders and officers. So Sennacherib was forced to return home in disgrace to his own land. And when he entered the temple of his God, some of his own sons killed him there with a sword. Now, I don't know how God will get you through whatever you're going through. May not be the way you or I would plan it. May not be easy. 
but he will. If you and I trust him and let him work in our lives. And, and, and that's so cool and wonderful that, that God does that. But more than that, he does that in our lives so that we can encourage others. There are people around us who are facing real battles, and God has often given you and me the opportunity and placed us where you and I can encourage others. Not simply receive encouragement, which is great, but to take it a step further, an important step further, to encourage others. It may be as simple as placing your hand on their shoulder, telling them you believe in them, praying for them. It may be walking alongside them for a while. It, it may be encouraging them with not only your presence, but also God's Word. Because we have this incredible good news. Paul, in writing to the church at Thessalonica, wrote, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out His anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we're dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Why does he say that? Because the world tears us down. Because circumstances weigh heavy on us. Because stuff goes wrong. Because we get negative. We get down. Because we, we give in to our feelings and emotions sometimes when they can be disastrous. Here are some very basic suggestions on giving encouragement. First, encouragement needs to be real. It's got to be genuine. It can't be, you can't fluff over the truth. You can't say something isn't happening when it is. Okay? People just immediately discount us when we do that. We can't offer trite sayings. Encouragement is best when it comes from our heart, and it's not manipulative. When we're hurting or struggling, we, we can usually pretty easily see when somebody's blowing smoke versus when someone is telling us something that we need to hear that can really help us and make a difference. There are a lot of good things that we can say, but we don't need to tell people things that aren't true. That's why knowing God's Word, again, is so valuable because we can tell them truth, timeless truth, God's truth that has real power to help them and make a difference. And, and God's Word is true for all people. Some people want to say, well, it may be true for you, but not necessarily for me. But here's the thing. If gravity is true in every place in existence, I would argue with you that God's truth is just as real and tangible in every person that God created, and we believe God created everyone. It, the only difference is, do I buy into it or not? Do I believe it or not? But I'm here to tell you, that's my conviction. And that historically is what followers of Jesus Christ have believed, that God's word is true for all people because God created each one of us. I mean, we're not limited to God's word for encouragement. But don't ever overlook its power. Second, encouragement needs to be regular. You know, encouraging someone once a year, whether they need it or not, probably doesn't do a whole lot of good. We need to work on it to be a part of our daily lives, what, what we do all the time. Everyone needs it. Everyone. 
Even if they tell you they don't. I, I have not met the person yet that at least it appears to me that they don't need it. Your coworkers need it. Your employees need it. Your boss needs it. Your server at the restaurant needs it. Your classmates need it. Your friends need it. You, the folks you encounter here at the church need it. The, the people in, in, in the grocery store need it. And maybe especially your family needs it. It's funny, sometimes we overlook the most obvious people to give encouragement to. I read this week, again, in doing all this, a great idea. One father said, every day when I come home, I pick up a certain number of coins, and I put them in my right pocket. And he said, every time I say something encouraging to a member of my family that evening, I take one of the coins out of my right pocket and put it in my left pocket. He said, I do that as a way to hold me accountable and help me pour into those I love most who need my encouragement more than anyone. Now, I don't know if that's what you need to do, but I thought, man, that's a good idea. That's very practical. It's down to earth. It's a way of saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my family 10 statements of encouragement. So I put 10 pennies or 10 dimes or whatever it is or 10 buttons in my pocket. And every time I put my hand in my pocket, I remember if, I, if they're still there that I haven't done it all. And so I'm intentional. Wouldn't it be great if all of us were so much more intentional? I, I want to I challenge you. Come up with a way for you to be intentional about encouraging those around you. And if you need to come up with a plan, if you need to write it down, we'll do whatever you need to do. But do it. Third, encouragement needs to be specific. Encouragement is best when it is, it's precise, when it's specific. It's not just generic. It's not just you did good. I'm not saying there's not a place for that. But, but Ken Blanchard, who wrote The One Minute Manager, said, catch people doing something right and then tell them. In other words, point to something specific that they did, how they did it, and how it had an impact on you or on others. Being specific also shows you're paying attention to them. You're not just kind of, oh yeah, oh yeah, that was good, great, yeah, I'm back to what you were doing. You had to notice enough to note something specific that they did, and that communicates also that you care. Give credit where credit's due. Don't just take all the things. When you give credit to someone else and how they helped, man, that's encouragement. Let others know you appreciate them. You, you, you affirm what they've done. Even offering, guys, common courtesies to another person communicates that they are not just a cog in a wheel, but someone who matters, whom you've noticed. I want to tell you, before you leave this auditorium this morning, I, I didn't, I'd challenge you before you leave, but, but, but even not. On the back of the notes, it, down here it says, I will be generous with my own encouragement by. And I'd, I'd challenge you, I'd encourage you to write something there. What are you going to do specifically? How are you going to do it? Set a goal. Do something. Maybe it's... To do something more for your folks or family. Maybe it's a, it's a tool like transferring the coins. Maybe it's just taking some moments to write out some things and some people that you appreciate that you want to remember to say something to this week. Let me tell you, I had the privilege this, this week to visit James Huckabee, who's in our church family at Memorial Hermon. As many of you know James. He's often seated right down here on the front. 
And about almost two years ago, James had a massive heart attack. Nobody thought he was going to live. Somehow he pulled through, but, but his heart was so badly damaged, they had to put in a, uh, some kind of pulmonary assist device, a mechanical piece, into his heart with tubes, and he walked around with a little device here and, and everywhere, and he lived with that for 18 months until about six weeks ago, he was fortunate enough to, to receive a new heart. Man, he has been through the ringer. He was back in the hospital. They were trying to adjust some of his meds because of the anti-rejection stuff going on and, and all. And I, I, I've seen people who've been through a lot and they can get depressed and they get down. I walked in that room and, and James, he's, he's standing there. He doesn't have a shirt on. <laughs> he's got this big cut and these things hooked up to him. He's, Randy, man, I'm so glad to see you, brother. And I'm coming in here to cheer him up, and he's already pumping me up. He says, come on over here. Sit down. Tell me what's going on in your life. He proceeds to ask me about my two kids, about my wife, about us here at the church. I mean, I finally was able to break in and ask him about him. This guy has every reason to be discouraged. He's going to be on medicine the rest of his life. He's been through Stuff that most of us can't even imagine. And yet this guy was encouraging me. I walked out of that room. Man, I was on cloud nine. I thought I'd gone there for him. I went there for me. And if you know James, James is an encourager. He does that. You ask him how he's doing, and he'll grin, and he'll tell you, I'm blessed. And he's not kidding. I want to tell you, that's how so many folks felt when they gathered around the early followers of Jesus. They were so generous in so many ways, and that included being great encouragers. Apparently, a few of them were any better at it than a guy named Joseph, though most of us have not heard of him by that name because it wasn't the the father of Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, it says, There was no needy people among the believers because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph. Remember, I just told you. The one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Here we go. Joseph, or Barnabas, as he came to be known, was, yes, he was generous with his treasure, his resources, but his nickname, his nickname told the whole story that pointed to how everything he did, he was an encourager. And I can't think of a better name that ought to go with a follower of Jesus than being a Barnabas, being an encourager, helping someone because the person next to you may right now be hurting and they just need a word of encouragement from you. There is no better way to live. There is no better way to experience a wonderful life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for encouraging us with such good news through Jesus Christ that we have been forgiven and saved. And yet, Father, you have not given us that gift to sit on it, but to share it with all those around us. Because we live in a broken, dying world, a sin-sick world. Even in our own lives, there are struggles, Father, and we forget. And there are many around us 
for whom the, the, the journey is even harder. Help us to be Barnabas's Father. Help us to be encouragers. Help us to share and, and just lift someone up. Father, help us to be intentional too. Because we can have the best of intentions and yet get lost in our daily lives. Help us, Father, to, to make a plan, make a decision how we're going to encourage others and walk out of here today sharing that with those around us, lifting them up, because we know Jesus is Lord, and nothing and no one can defeat him. And we're on his side. We're on the winning team. doesn't make us arrogant, but it does make us blessed. And we are blessed to be a blessing, to encourage all of those we encounter. We ask this, we pray that we would do this, Jesus, in your Son's name. Amen. The prayer team will be down here. If you need somebody to pray over you for encouragement, God bless you. Go out, encourage someone today. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.com.